welcome one and all to part four of Champions, our review of Norwich City's EFL Championship 2018-19 season, the part where we might be about to get a little bit excited. I'm Pink and Show and podcast host Michael Bailey. Hello there. And helping us through this relentless five-part football fest is our very own number wang, Twitter's NCFC numbers, Steve Sanders. How is that not your favourite one, Steve? I think that that's the winner so far. <laughs> so Mitchell, far. Uh, retro Mitchell and Webb reference. I like it. <laughs> Um, were you believing yet? I can't remember if we've already asked this question or not, yeah. but now were you believing this? Yeah. Part? I, was, I was on board at this point, I think, and why not? Um, but I, I, to be honest, you know, I don't want to do too much of a hard sell here. It's my, it's, in terms of the games that we've got coming up, it's might be the best one yet. Yeah? Yeah, I think so. Listen to it. I love it. Uh, so uh, just to recap, we've split the Canaries' magnificent championship campaign into five slices of title-winning pie, and we're going to relive each with a different guest at a different venue here or views the pick of Steve's stats and continue to ride the wave that only comes with an open-top bus parade. Uh, and part four finds us at a familiar pink and show haunt. This is the departure lounge on Prince of Wales Road with a fine coffee in hand and a slice of tasty cake. I can assure you we only come here for the friendly welcome and, of course, awesome produce, <laughs> which over the course of this uh, part I might eat. Uh, now, if there's anyone who I know will appreciate these fine white walls, it's the voice of City fan. It's the voice that City fans love to recreate. That's myself included. Generally, really badly. It is sports journalist and commentator Stuart Hodge. Thanks for making the trip, Hodgie. Ah, it's good to be here, Michael. At the departure round, lounge and ready to take off. Can't even speak. That's it's a good start. Hey, now it's right. <coughs> we'll try and keep the part down, don't Can you? I don't That's impression that you speak of. No, no, not in front of you no um, no why i just say your name your surname loudly in a scottish accent oh, I, I just go hodgy all right that's okay Thanks, <laughs> okay let's move on quickly um you did see i mean you've, you've come down especially from for scotland for us that's what i've assumed anyway yeah. and you saw a lot of the season didn't you even though you're up in um, up north of the border to be honest once this club gets i've said this before once this club gets under your skin you seek ways to watch the games and to be honest i didn't have to be overly resourceful this year because we were on sky all the time so. <laughs> i tell you what let's move on shall we because uh, we've got a big part ahead as we've said and let's kick it off sharpish with a trip to the Hawthorns West Bromwich Ambling that was where we all started um, after Norwich's FA Cup exit he says I, hadn't, yes, I haven't got that bit written here so I can't, I can't remember when we last did a part uh, it finished 1-1 and this was a real tough test I remember it was a late goal and it came thanks to two substitutes who rocked up on the pitch quite late on and did, did the business Steve yeah they did first two subs to combine for a goal since um Where's Hulant and Elson Oliveira back at Craven Cottage? And that was another late equaliser, but a slightly different feel to that one. Um, yeah, funnily enough, it was the exact same minute as the, the last game at Brentford where they scored the late equaliser there, 83rd minute, and the two subs, it was Rhodes' first touch and, um, and McLean's third. So instant impact. Um, and what a crucial goal as well, going into, which we're obviously going to talk about, the tough run of fixtures that they had. And um, I seem to remember West Brom would have overtaken them had they won the game which psychologically would have given them a real boost but for Jordan to get that late goal his last for Norwich um, was it really? was his final goal Gosh. yeah um, so soon after coming on and so you know near to the end of the game I'd say it's up there with one of the most important goals of the season it's beautifully worked as well and the point at which probably Kenny McLean we started getting some momentum about him getting some real first team uh, action yeah that was the chance for him to sort of come, come back in and, and, and really show what he could do and obviously a lot of frustration built up over the period of, of being out being unavailable um, I think it was his first league start since the, uh, the corresponding game at the start of the season the one we lost 4-3 against the Baggies um, 
so it was obviously it was important for Kenny. I think in terms of the the greater whole of that though, that was in, in terms of the the single points, the draws that we picked up this season. It was one of the most important, just because of the nature of the game, um, the fact it was a tough fixture against the promotion rival. Went behind early, stuck in there, and then Daniel Farker time and again. Uh, and, and quite late in games as well not necessarily with half an hour to go he'll, he'll employ the subs maybe a bit later than some managers but time and again this season he put players on in the impacted games and this was another example of that I think it was uh, McLean's corner was blocked came back out to him better angle for the cross and then it's an intelligent run by Jordan Rhodes just to turn it home I mean we We've not really talked about it, but you mentioned it, Steve. This this run was sort of underpinned. There were a lot of people saying, well, we'll see where we are after these next five games because we'll really get to judge what Norwich City can do. West Brom, Birmingham at home, Sheffield United at home, Leeds away, and then Ipswich at home. It was a phenomenally tough run, of course. And the game at Birmingham... Except the last fixture of those five. Well, we're we're trying to go... No, no one's going easy on them, it's true. But the Birmingham game, I mean, promotion rival in terms of the playoffs and and obviously a tough game that Norwich had at their place at the very start of the season. Emi Buendia won that game in the first 40 minutes for me. Absolutely took him apart. It It was phenomenal. Got injured. Unfortunately, wasn't out for very long. But I think that just underlined the way that Norwich brushed Birmingham in a side where it was aside in a game where you thought well out of these games let's win this one it was uh, one of the statement wins to be honest yeah and and actually um, very different to the the games that had gone previously obviously the last two league home games were Forest and Derby Um, very this was a very different one to to that three goals again in fact it was the first time they'd scored three or more goals in six straight home games at Carrow Road obviously at Carrow Road uh, since the 60s Um, and they got the first three in the first 25 minutes um, so it, it was one of those again where we we went in front and then Che Adams immediately got a goal back and it was kind of, oh, here we go again. But it was a fast start and that was something that we weren't used to seeing. And as you say, Emmy absolutely at the heart of that. And Tom Tribal got a, a fantastic headed goal. And this was the point, I think, when Tom was really finding his feet and doing, to be fair, something that I didn't think um, he would be able to do, which was look a brilliant player as the sole and central holding midfielder. You know, he was covering ground, he was looked defensively minded, he was very secure, he was using the ball really well, and actually looked the perfect player for that position, which I guess Tom takes credit for, but also Daniel Farker for, for improving him to play the role better. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, both astute points. In fits and starts this season, Tom Tribal really did look like the answer in that role. Unfortunately, I never think he got just maybe the... The, the kind of concerted run at it that he needed to really nail it down fully as like yeah that's my that's my jersey in the team, um, but you mentioned Emi Buendia this was uh, it was a work of art from him for for the period of time that he was on the pitch and Norwich City in that first half were absolutely and obviously Birmingham got the goal but they were absolutely relentless and this was the game I was watching this game and I thought my goodness we're going to win the title here we are the best team in this division and obviously we were. Obviously, we will prove that in a couple of games' time, actually. But uh, yeah, Tom Tribal. Yeah, on Tribal. I mean, for me, I know we've talked about unsung heroes, unsung heroes a lot. <laughs> in, in my opinion, he is he's the unsung hero this season, as, as proved by the fact that we, we yeah. moved very swiftly onto Emmy. Um, nicely unsung him, yes, Stuart, yeah. for then Steve yeah, to yeah, see there. Um, I, I just, I, I think, in terms of the role that he does, not an easy role to play at all. It's so vital, and he does everything so well. He passes it well. He breaks up the play well. Um, in terms of interceptions, and Norwich City fans won't need me to tell them this, but he, he's. He's just way ahead, um, the highest in the division um, in terms of 
making an interception every 28 minutes. No one even comes close to wow. that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, th- that may not sound a lot, but believe me, no, that, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a lot. Um, and, you know, I, I said in uh, pod one when Paddy was with us that I thought he might be, we might have seen the best of him after the Leeds game, but he just absolutely came roaring back, scored in this game, um, and was so key for the rest of the season. Uh, and I'm delighted, actually. And, and the other thing about him is, I know we talk about Puki being the best free transfer of all time, but... He was an attached when we picked him up. He's got to be up there, isn't he? Well, he had to come and have a trial, which is the thing that gets me. He literally came to Norwich to trial to prove that he was good enough. And I remember the first 13 minutes he played in the League Cup against Charlton, the first season, I was like, this guy's phenomenal. On your spreadsheet where it says, you know, past completions for these players, does it just say under Tom Twible, never gives the ball away? <laughs> yeah, I think he might be 100% actually, but I can't confirm if that's accurate or not. <laughs> OK, we'll move on to uh, the Sheffield United game. Um, as we touched on earlier in part one, of course it was, um, this was a game against the, the teams that would finish top two in the division. Only at this time it, we were more <laughs> anticipating that it would be the case. And I have to say, I, I, I like this game a lot. It was a proper game. There's a lot about it. We, we all know the banter and the, the hassle that Daniel Farquhar and Chris Wilder have had. But actually, they do seem to get on quite well when they're not stood next to each other in the dugouts and they have a lot of respect for each other. And these two teams, I thought they really went for it in their own style. I, I would say... I. I don't. I didn't ever think in this game that Norwich were in any sort of trouble, which I know a lot of people did. But I kind of felt Norwich were comfortable. They never were behind in the game. But by the same token, it was probably as tough a game as they had all season. Yeah, it definitely was. Um, obviously, it was Billy Sharp with the two goals. But the strength of Sheffield United is the it's, it's the greater whole, greater than the sum of the parts. Um, in a lot of ways, that team has kind of got a few of the hallmarks of Lambert's Norwich team, and it's a bit of a ragtag collection of players that you could argue. I mean, it's, it's, it's a championship squad, definitely on paper. Yet they've played above themselves. They've managed to finish as runners up, and they've gone up to the Premier League more on spirit, maybe, than on than on devout quality. And they deserve a lot of credit for that, regardless of any of the the aggro that that went at various stages in the relationship between both clubs. Um, but in terms of this game, I think I think for for Norwich City this season generally, there were a few matches where maybe the team wasn't at its free flowing best but they didn't lose matches and it was against big teams that were, were competing with for, for the title and for promotion and this was another of those matches for me It was. It still felt like two points dropped I remember at the time going home it was a curious afternoon most Yeah I think we almost got used to them scoring late winners didn't we and it, this was one of the occasions where it didn't happen you, you're absolutely right I came away from this game with a newfound respect for Sheffield United um, the overlapping centre half is uh, a, a tactical nuance I'd never seen before um, and I thought they, they played really well and Fully deserved the fully deserved the point. Um, Billy Sharp is one of only two players to have scored in both games against us this season. Uh, the other one is coming up later, so maybe if anyone wants to think about that, 10-15 minutes maybe to work it out. Nice. Um, or unless Hodge is going to give it to us now. No, I'm not going to give it to you now. But I've actually got, I've got a wee start of my own, which oh, was uh, I think this was the game that made it nine and eight at home for Pookie goals wise. Uh, nine goals in eight games at that point which shows just how red hot a striker he was and I can remember for the opening goal uh, from Hernandez as well um, there was the the, the one touch play down the left hand side I mean we had loads of goals like that this season but that was one of the the real cream of the crop because it was just it was one of those it was was almost like clockwork the way the cogs in the chain were working one of those goals that first goal where you didn't appreciate it at the time I mean you knew they were playing well but you weren't like watching it and then you sort of see the goal and you have to track it back to actually work out how well it was made the second um, Pookie's goal was just a wonderfully taken finish I remember that match I I just um, if you can indulge 
indulge me for a moment in, a, in another stat. I'm just looking for a chance to use this one. So at, at this point, we hadn't kept a clean sheet. It was our longest run for over a year without one. Um, and I thought, we'll just have a look at our record in terms of the number we conceded. Um, and we conceded 57, uh, which is quite a lot for a team mm-hmm. that have gone up. Um, more than any side since to have got promoted since Huddersfield in 1617. They let in 58. Um, they obviously stayed up late on. Uh, in terms of automatically promoted sides, the last team to concede the same or more was actually Lambert's Norwich in 2010-11. Ooh. 58, and they obviously did very well, came 12th. Um, and in terms of champions of the division, and obviously we're going back to the days when there were fewer teams in the league, so this is now uh, goals conceded per game. Last team to concede as many, 1960-61, Ipswich Town, 55. And obviously they went on to win the league the next year. Wow. So you've got... Well, the point the point of all that is, if you're wondering, <laughs> that just because they've been conceding goals, and that might be yeah. concern for City fans, it's not necessarily important to relegation. Which I think is a really good point because the way you go about things in the Championship, you're not going to do it the same way when you go up. Yeah. Otherwise, it will unravel, and then some teams do, and it, it fails miserably. So that was adaptable tactically as well. We've seen that. Yeah. Uh, what I worked out is um, Sheffield United, one of only four teams not uh, that Norwich didn't beat this season. Um, can you can you name the other three? Oof, uh, Stoke is one. Yes. Uh, West Brom. Yes. Hodgie. Uh, uh, you're the you're the numbers man. Oh, um, uh, must be four, three. Derby. Derby pulls it out on three. Well done. Good. That was nice to pose a little quiz. Don't normally get the chance. Uh, there we go. Cracking game. And you know what? Um, a lot of talk, of course, about Daniel Farker and, um, and just going ahead, spoiler alert, Daniel Farker and Chris Wilder between who would get EFL manager and championship manager of the season, whichever the amount of stuff that Chris Wilder had to deal with at Sheffield United in terms of the ownership and all that sort of unraveled since. Yeah, fair play, he did manage them quite well, didn't he? Um, but there we go. That's very generous of me, I think. So onwards. Uh, onwards to Elland Road now. Woof. <laughs> no, screw them. They played white noise and then they paid the penalty. Um, what often this I mean okay so there's lots of games moments of the season but I, I mean to be honest performance of this is performance of the season isn't it yeah probably I mean um, you made lots of friends up there as well did you not uh, Yorkshire loves me I think I can remember Leeds came out of the traps in this game and I was really worried to start the game and then we got a free kick and then I thought hmm aye probably I mean there's a few candidates could take this then Mario Vrancic steps up and performs the party trick that we now know is absolutely within his arsenal any time he steps up to a dead ball within a certain sort of yardage of the edge of the box. Tell you who he reminds me of. You mentioned Celtic earlier on. Shinsuke Nakamura at Celtic. Any time we got a free kick in any of those areas of the pitch, you were thinking, this, this, this is like nearly as good as a penalty here. This is a chance. Not saying that Vrancic is in that bracket yet, but... He, he is of the requisite quality to, to at least say it's a good opportunity when we get the right angle, right distance, he, he's top drawer. As I would say, was James Madison the season before? And I remember James Madison and Mario saying how much they were practising free kicks and Mario at a moment to do with a free kick later on in the season. Can't remember what, which one it was. But he did take the point that I've been practising these so much and... Uh, Obviously, that that's part of the point where you can just turn up and do it in the actual absolute heat of battle. Yeah, and yeah, 
practice is, is one thing, but being able to do it in a in a game situation is, is another. Sheffield Wednesday later on in the season being a case in point. Yeah, I mean, again, we talked about Madison, didn't we, at the start of Pod 1, and um, how some players have flourished in his absence, and Mario is definitely one of those. I think he, he's he's one of the players who... This is, this is now the ranchers that we hoped we'd see in the first season, um, and he scored... As, me, as many outside the box as anyone only Harry Wilson equalled him seven this season for both of them um, Wilson did it in 74 shots Mario did it in 24 so he scored near, wow. better, better than one in four yeah. uh, of his shots from outside the box went in uh, he's got the best minutes per goal record of any midfielder in the championship second best minutes per assist of any player in the championship behind Ben Rama at um, Brentford McLean's third in that incidentally um, and yeah I mean to think he didn't he wasn't even in the team for a lot of the season yeah. and what a what an outstanding year he's had yeah what a contribution he made so few starts that's the thing is so few starts really and the impact he had on so many games and I have to say I, you could see the end of last season he was one of those players who was improving even when Norwich was struggling I thought he, he was improving as it went along um, I loved that goal in the was it fifth fifth minute wasn't it because uh, Leeds had not dropped a single point all season when they scored first up until this point in fact they they maintained that run all the way through until they lost at home to Wigan when they were also one up against 10 men and went on to lose having also missed a penalty that was the first time and you're talking April that they'd not gone on to win when scoring first and at this point it's like yes we're ahead what a position to be in and also Tamer Pukki's goal which no one knew was going to be given until sort of a a lag and and the silence was deafening and hello Fender was it Forshaw was playing them all on side. He put right. his arm up Forshaw. and then just sort of walked forward, going, "Yeah, I'll play them all on here." Forshaw, wow. who was dispossessed for that as well, because yeah. I think uh, Emmy did that sort of slide tack, which seems to go on forever, and they managed to nick the ball away, didn't he? Mm. Uh, in the build-up to that, I mean, just in terms of that game, performance of the season for me. I mean, performance of any season really. Well, certainly going back away, I can't think of one game where the stakes were as high as that where they've played as well as that they just came and Leeds didn't play badly by any stretch of the imagination but we just came and executed the plan that we had to perfection it just it's so much pride being an Norwich fan which is one of my bugbears that we all watch Norwich all season and then we just decide to analyse the game based on what Norwich do and I think a lot of Leeds fans came away saying well we were rubbish and it wasn't that it was that Norwich had played their part in that in terms of how it found out uh, well I think we were all pretty much believing at this point but the question is when did you start believing this season so let's hear some of your views Ben Stevens says the draw at West Brom away when we weren't at our best but ground out the point had me thinking, hello, that's a team spirit here. Millwall, Forest, Leeds, all but confirmed we were going up in my mind. Still thought West Brom would pip us. Pilkey's making music says Borough away. Up to that point, I kept thinking we would fall away. Chris Dayton says Millwall and Forest comebacks made me think we might be onto something here. Leads away made me think, yep, we are going to do this. But the rise of the togetherness and the lower Barkley made me think we would do it. That togetherness and positivity was infectious. Dave Clark tweets, in early January, when I looked at fixtures after the Leeds game, it was clear if we could get through the month and still be close, three to four points, to the top, we were in with an incredible chance. So to come through it unbeaten, despite the injuries, and actually be top was incredible. Sam Pitcher, Bristol City at home for me. Their unbeaten run, and even after going behind, still played them off the park. Stu Colby says, I felt that if we were top six after Boxing Day, we would be in the playoffs. I also said, if we were top two after Ipswich at home, we'd go up automatically. Should have had a bet. 
Sean Taylor says when we stuffed Leeds, we were too good for the championship. Chris Parker tweets, for at least playoff contenders, Sheffield Wednesday away, for outright promotion and possibly the title, draws v West Brom, Sheffield United and the win v Leeds, put us in the real driving seat. Matthew Lemon says, Millwall at home. Farker didn't panic, stuck to his guns and brought on Brancic, whose slide rule passes led to that last minute equaliser and then the winner. Mark Taylor simply says, about the fourth time I heard, oh my goodness, from Chris Gorham. Ian says that he had a, hmm, we could do something this season moment at Hillsborough in November. My, yep, we're doing this, was on Boxing Day. Nathan Rand says, I just found a message on my phone from November that I sent to my dad and my brother saying, oh my God, we're going up. Back on it then uh, with the, um, well, it's such a tough run as we're sort of saying, well, if we could maybe draw these games or not lose too many and still be involved, then happy days. Um, you then get to turn up against the side bottom of the division. Happens to be Paul Lambert in charge now. Uh, they happen to be your, your nearest and dearest and they're having one of the worst seasons in championship living memory. Um, and they were still, we were still all really nervous about it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I can. I went into this game. I think a lot of fans got the wrong idea when I tweeted this, but I said, you know the way football. It was along the lines of, you know the way football is. When you look at the length of the run, the Lambert narrative, top versus bottom, everything today is pointing to an Ipswich win, surely. And I mean, sometimes the irony of football um, comes to bear, but logic won on, on this occasion. I mean, we were ahead within ninety seconds, I think, um, and. I can't really remember a derby, and this is partly because it's not it's not a Mick McCarthy Ipswich. You would always kind of make themselves hard, hard to beat and all the rest of it. Um, but my 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 odd impression is better than that one. But carry on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Um, but that, that Ipswich team, I mean, it was the the way that we 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 dominated them, but we also did it with like a poison. We were executing it with, I don't know, a creative freedom that shouldn't be. Shouldn't be you shouldn't have that in a derby. You shouldn't be able to do that, and that is. I mean, you've obviously got the five-one game that, but that is other than that as embarrassing a going over as Ipswich Town have had from Norwich City. Absolutely, because the irony is, a few people are sort of watching. Oh, they've done quite well here, whereas they were never really in in the game. Uh, I mean, it was it was one of those where, and there would seem to be a lot of these from Ipswich fans this season, where they seem to, and from Lambert as well, incidentally, um, where they kind of said, "Oh, we've we've played better than that scoreline suggests," and often that is a that's a typical phrase of a team that's not really doing very well um, and uh, when Hernandez scored after well inside 80 seconds I think wasn't it um, you kind of felt from that point onwards it was always going to be our day um, and obviously the, the Lambert red card just made it all the better first official red card for a manager at Carry Road oh was it that's yes, a good start yeah, yeah. I, I never knew that um, Paul Lambert has become a parody of himself Right, he's basically become. I mean, I can remember when he was in charge at Norwich, and he would do the. Oh, the fans are brilliant. The players are brilliant, right? And now it's all right doing that with a team that's like going to get promoted, right? But if you start doing all that, oh, these fans—they're absolutely fantastic. And these players—they're giving everything for me. Yeah, mate, you're rock bottom of the division, having a historically bad season. 
I just think he's a busted flush, to be honest. And, and as soon as he started coming out with that, I remember thinking, well, he said this when he was at Stoke last year. He said, we're doing much better than our performances suggest. Uh, and they got relegated. And mm. it, it never got any better. And it was only ever going to go the same way. The, the interesting thing for me, and we obviously know Paul Lambert from when he was he was here. And he would say things like when Norwich came up against Colchester, it's all about them, this is not about me. But you'd know behind the scenes he was winding up. And then it would all come off and everyone would be happy and everything would be said of it. This was the first time where he just unraveled. I mean, he played it all. It doesn't matter. I don't care. It's not about them. It's about us, blah, blah, blah. And then he, it was not going right to the point where some people think he did it deliberately and, and just wound everything up before half time. I don't think he did. I think he just lost control. And, you know, a little insight for you. I don't, Paul Lambert didn't want us uh, or any Norwich media to go to his pre-match press conference ahead of the derby. Eventually that happened and we were allowed in um, and then you can see, you'll see the sort of frosty reception it's got, I just did not have the control and calmness but he also didn't have the side to really back up that kind of reaction A couple of wee points in that um, on the on the kind of busty flush element uh, is he a different man when he's not got Culverhouse beside him? Because I think in a lot of great managerial teams that's a, it's a duo or a trio sometimes I think of Martin O'Neill with, with John Robertson, Steve Walford for example worked really well Um but Lambert, who pretty much his managerial identity is based on Martin O'Neill, seems to be, without his, his sort of main lieutenant, doesn't seem to be the same force. Um, and yeah, I think you're right about the, the, the kind of loss of control. And uh, what about Daniel Farka with it? <laughs> and wink. then the wink. Yeah, yeah. Most um, famous wink of the season. I just wanted to throw, because I think we've kind of held back for long enough. We've, we've been quite fair on Ipswich. I just wanted to throw a few in, because I've been asked a few times, has there ever been two divisions between the two clubs? The answer is no, so this will be the first time that's ever happened. It's also the biggest ever points gap between two clubs when they're competing in the same division. That's probably no great surprise. Wow. Um, what, of any any teams oh, in so the no, 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 no. Oh, of, the, of these two oh, of these right, two okay. <laughs> yeah it could be of any teams no, yeah. <laughs> um, before this season uh, in fact Norwich and Ipswich had never been top and bottom at the same time in either order but now there's been 133 days this season where that's been the case and this is my favourite one Norwich City have had more wins in Yorkshire this season than Ipswich have had in Suffolk that's not bad is it <laughs> <laughs> That, that sings to my heart in both ways, so fantastic, I love that one. Mick McCarthy of the poor impression would be quite happy with that start, I think, <laughs> yeah, somewhere yeah. as well. I think he's had his say on a few bits and pieces from that. Well, there we go, that is uh, Ipswich done for this season and certainly next, uh, moving on. Oh, I've done that a bit too soon, haven't I? I just did it for effect in the end, there we go. Um, now, we're all um, reeling at how brilliantly it's all going, everything's going so swimmingly, and then lo and behold, Norwich lose a game and lose away from home. Uh, two very rare occasions. Alec Neal um, did the job with a Preston side that actually fell away late on, but it just kind of kept things sustained for, for a fair amount of time during the season. And I suppose we were still... It was always going to happen when the defeat came, there were going to be question marks. It was a little bit unfortunate but in this element, but um, I can't remember if we felt a little bit whether it just needed some freshening up and, and Daniel relentlessly stuck to his team a lot of the time didn't yeah he? Daniel's one of those he's kind of old fashioned in that way like if the, if the 11's winning mm. he, he tends to stick with it unless he's got good reason not to there was a couple of reasons I kind of thought this might be coming number one it was my birthday so like usually the teams that I support don't play well on my birthday that's just that, that's just a given um, there's, get some stats on that for next season Alec Neal is a guy that loves to prove a point 
And I'm sure that he knew Norwich were having a really good season. They were a really good team. And he would have had his team right up for this one. Um, so I think that's a factor. Plus, Preston were in good form. I don't think they'd been beaten in the league since New Year's Day before that. So it was always going to be a tough game for Norwich City. And it was just one of those nights where just we, we weren't... I remember Timu Puki had a really good game. His movement was excellent. But I think the rest of the pieces just, it wasn't quite at it. It was just a wee bit off. And in a 46 game season, you're going to have nights like that. So I think this was just one of those nights. I mean, they went 2 0 down quite early. Emi Wendy was a little bit naive, probably, rather than unlucky with the penalty. Um, and there was a goal before that, which I can't really remember, to be honest. And, and Alan Brown's ridiculous goal kind of killed killed it off from a very good player. Brown hit the bar, didn't he? And then Maguire oh, followed him. But yeah, yeah, the, the, it, was, it, was, yeah. it was one of those where you, you kind of think. The goal would have been it would have been nice if he'd scored that yeah. rather than it going into the leash. You can hold your hand, hands up and say there was nothing we could have done about that. Um, yeah, I mean you're, you alluded to the two early goals. I think that was kind of what did it. They were just chasing from too early. In fact, the, the um, I think it was Davis who scored the header in the second minute. That was the earliest we conceded all season. Mm. Um, but Rudd made. Uh, Teclan Rudd made more saves than any yeah. other goalkeeper against us all year. So it's not we we had plenty of chances. One of those, of course, being a penalty, which we'll come to in a sec. Um, and the other thing I didn't mention after the Leeds game is that that was our joint longest away run without defeat in our history in the league. So uh, it was 13 games and the previous one, of course, was also under Alec Neil, and it was Neil that ended this run. So there's a kind of a bit of symmetry there. But Stu's absolutely right. It was, one, it, was, it was just one of those where you will get those games in a season. Even in a season where you win the league, there will be some that just don't go your way and it was one of those. Something about the number 13 as well. 13 <laughs> games and then the 13th of February. So. Um, and I remember Alec Neil talking to us after the game just saying, oh, Timo Pukki, best striker in the Championship. And that was when it started to twig that all these people look at him and just think his movement, everything about him is just just another level. Um, of course, you mentioned Declan Rudd. Uh, we had another Norwich, former Norwich City keeper coming up. We were staying in the North West. We even stayed over in the North West and we did a Valentine's <laughs> Day Pink and Show special from Chorley. Corley. Chorley? Chorley? Can't even remember. Well, what a place. What, uh, place uh, what, what a place. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, Dave Freezer and Paddy Devitt are still uh, wearing the scars of having to uh, do a pink and show covered in petals. But there we go. Um, but yeah, you mentioned there was um, uh, something else that these two games had in common, uh, apart from the result, uh, not the result, um, but there were missed penalties. And it was, was it Marco Stieperman at, at, at Preston? It was, yeah, 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 it was Marco at Preston, yeah. And it was uh, Kenny McLean at, um, at, at Bolton, which I, I couldn't sort of work out. Was, at that point, we were we were four 0 up, um, and I couldn't work out whether yes, <laughs> so we'll, we'll let him off. Um, but I couldn't work out whether it was just a case of he's someone that hasn't missed yet, or let's get him a goal because he's just come back from injury. It won't. It won't I mean, none of them are great pens. I think maybe Steepmans was the best of the bunch. But yeah, just looking at, at the, the penalty misses that we've had um, and the records that have followed since then, it was something that I kind of had a look at at the time. Quite incredible, obviously, the fact that we missed six pens, um, but the fact that. Rose after West Brom scored in his next fixture against Sheffield United uh, then missed against Brentford again and scored two against Villa um, Vrancic uh, missed it Wednesday and got two assists by the end of the next game I think the following one was Millwall it was Millwall in fact um, Pukki scored later after missing against Millwall and in the following game and then uh, Stieperman well, scored at Bolton um, and McLean scored two in his next game which obviously we're going to come to so quite amazing that in those six penalty misses the players then bounce back so quickly to um, to kind of impact on the next fixtures 
It's quite funny because it was becoming a, it was sort of becoming a joke by Preston um, because I think Daniel Fuck was giving it to players. I think Steepman did it like 26 penalties in training and scored them all. And then and something like that. I, it, you know, see, roll with me here, but it was something equivalent to that. And then he missed in the game. And I think then uh, Kenny had scored 15 in a penalty shootout at 15. He was back. So I'll take the next one. And then he's got it's saved, I think. And actually, the Steepman one's an interesting because we look at the penalties and say they didn't really cost Norwich because obviously 3-2 over 3-1 doesn't make a difference but actually had Norwich have taken that penalty it could have been a very different result doesn't matter because Norwich have done so well since but uh, Bolton 4-0 regardless of Kenny McLean's the, the goals in this were wonderful I, and it was probably the ideal fixture because Bolton were a mess they were a mess all season in fairness often on the pitch um, and they just sat off Norwich and Norwich took them apart yeah they sat off them and then all of a sudden they would rush up to just behind the halfway line look like they'd never heard of the offside rule before and Norwich would be sent clean through I, I think in terms of teams defending against us this season this was probably one of the worst performances but coupled with that I can remember the opening goal that was a counter attack that Barcelona would have been proud of um, it was a lovely move sort of down the left passes interlinking people moving and then it comes to Pookie he's got the hard bit and he's still got quite a lot to do he's running down a bit obviously he's, he's predominantly right footed he's running down a bit of a blind alley sort of on the left and what he does is he just opens his body up and then just plays chicken and actually beats mm-hmm. the keeper at the near post it was a work of art in terms of a striker but the actual just the whole move so many good goals this season man all four goals in this game are fantastic which probably just about tips it above the win at Sheffield Wednesday when you know maybe three of them were, yeah, yeah. were pretty good in my notes I've got best selection of four goals Norwich have ever scored question mark I can't I mean no, not uh, a stat <laughs> claim as a stat uh, yeah okay so that's a subjective stat for you there everyone um, yeah I mean it, all four things were just they were just goals of beauty really weren't they um, uh, Timu became the first player to score in six straight league games in this one uh, since uh, Ross Jack in 1981 yeah. so um, and didn't quite manage to get seven but uh, at this point he was just in the zone wasn't he yeah. just everything he seemed to touch was going in um, and we abs- we outpassed them 749 passes we never managed more all season um, Tom Tribal completed 132 on his own which is more than anyone else managed as an individual um, and yeah as Stu basically kind of covered it really Bolton were very accommodating but nevertheless we still scored some excellent goals and you've still got to put them away yeah I've got to say in Kenny McLean's pass like that was the that was the first wee flashy so I think it was for Buendia's th- the goal the third one um, McLean's pass through for that for that goal was absolutely brilliant and I think this was his first start wasn't it are we up to where Kenny started because oh, um, yes because uh, Mario got injured of course early on against Ipswich uh, and then I think Alex Tetty got injured didn't he against Preston so you know a couple of injuries and Kenny finally got a go and he proved well and that was the new dynamic that took us into the Bristol City home game a Bristol City side who were bang in form and this was like oh this is going to be tricky this and fair play to Bristol City they, they did make it very hard too but uh, Kenny McLean chips in with two goals and a, a crucial intervention his second was the winner and it was a beauty yeah uh, I actually think that Kenny McLean was still playing his way into form because obviously he had the assist against Bolton um, missed the penalty obviously and then he got the double against Bristol City but there were still some misplaced passes it still felt like he was bringing it together but I think these were the games that actually sort of where he, he pretty much got it together and then after that he was a vital cog in the push towards the end of the season and over the line um, that Bristol City game was a massive one for Norwich because there was loads of little things happened in that game that in other matches you would think yeah we're not going to get the win here 
and Norwich went and it was a bit harem scarum at times uh, and it could have gone either way it was one of those games it was a brilliant game to watch but got over the line got the three points and it's those kind of games that are the difference between playoffs second and champions well said I mean they found a way and it was interesting we, we can't really sugarcoat it I mean we ended up kind of always quite I mean Daniel Fucker didn't change his side did he but through all these games cut this run of games coming up into the next part I think wasn't it but I think most of those games people were saying well Kenny it's not quite the same is it as with Mario and Mario wasn't out for very long and Moritz was coming back to fitness you know ooh Kenny ooh we did a lot of that didn't we whereas um, as we've seen in part one you know Kenny had the things he does he does really well and they're probably the underappreciated things too you took the words right out of my mouth I was going to say no 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 (laughs) we're obviously on the same way I mean I was going to say he's not fully appreciated until he donned the mayor's hat and started drinking (laughs) Mad Dog 2020 um, a lot of Mad Dog 2020 2020, uh, because it, it, there were those constant comparisons to Leitner and Vrancic uh, comparisons that we were obviously making in, in the first part of this podcast. Um, but it, I had to, to be honest, I was making those noises in this game. Um, I, I think during the game, in what turned out to be a number of bad predictions for me, I was kind of saying, don't think he's giving us what Vrancic did. But ended up the hero, scored two goals in this one. And until he got injured in the final game against Villa, he played every minute between that Bolton game and then and another player that Farker obviously really appreciates what he does mm. it, that's a really good point because it, it was always at half time almost where I found myself going mm. I might make, you might make that change if you wanted to and you know harsh he was, he was still playing his way in at this point the two goals kind of masked a pretty ordinary performance from him I think in this game he was, he was one of the players that he was a bit hit and miss during this one but after this he was a Rolls Royce was indeed okay oh before we move on just because i've teed it up yes. <laughs> i don't know if did you get it at home the other player Callum Dowder scored against us home and away and actually played really well and scored two good goals in both games oh the goal at Carrow road was an absolute Tremendous. belter and what? and also uh, because Stu kind of teed up this was the final 3 p.m kickoff of the season at Carrow road oh, in awesome. uh, mid mid-february on a saturday yeah so um thanks sky <laughs> <laughs> lucky sky by the way i mean it was a great goal by Callum Odada was shocking defending by the way having just scored I'll just add that in but there we go uh, so um, Millwall away um, not the best game against Millwall this season but still um, a fantastic victory uh, a game where they were going to be really tested Millwall did what we all expected them to do and Norwich kind of came th- came through it through a, a following of more than 3,000 this was the first of the really big away followings as well wasn't it top uh, two tiers uh, open at the Den which doesn't happen very often most of the time for safety grounds but uh, they trusted Norwich enough and I think um, Julie re- rewarded what sticks I tell you what what sticks in my mind um, one of the best first touches of the season from Pookie um, so from Emmy Buendia's wonderful ball yeah I can remember your tweeting after it you were you were absolutely gushing um, that's one of those grounds where in seasons where Norwich City don't go over the line in the championship we drop points in a game like that and we quite often lose a game like that against a workman-like sort of side um, that tests us in ways that, that, to be honest, it's not the kind of football we play, it's not necessarily our strengths, but we went there and we just did a job at the den. I mean, um, I think one of the goals definitely was from a corner, was it Zimmerman? Yeah. Um, headed in. Oh, by the way, I'm a big, big part of the Christoph Zimmerman fan club, just have to <laughs> have to say that. It was nice to see that. And yeah, it was just one of those performances where, again, hallmark of champions, you, you go, you get the job done, you score three goals, and it almost feels like you've not really done much, you know? Um, we all knew what the narrative would be before this game it would be the 4-0 last season at the Dem where that was the, the, the low the, basically the low point the point at which we all looked at this and thought 
Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, and obviously we've come, come so far since then. Um, and it is a bit of a cliche, but it's true. The Den is a tough place to go. And Millwall pride themselves on their home form and they pride themselves on being able to take on teams like this Norwich City team yeah. and kind of get in amongst them. And, and this Millwall team certainly do that with um, Morrison and Gregory up front. I think we both played in this game. Um, in fact, we had a, we had a bit of a rough start. I think there was one click. Was there one click off the line early on, mm. first five minutes or so? But kind of weathered that. And um, although they scored just before half time, it's a bit of a recurring theme of the season. Mm. We just came on strong again in the second half. That Puki goal made him the, the fastest Norwich City player to 25 goals in the last 50 years, just to underline just how incredibly he had done. Um, if anybody wasn't already aware, um, and yeah, I mean, like you say, that first touch was oh, just inch else. perfect, and the finish wasn't bad either, was it? You know what? I, I, I get the impression that it's going to be 5, 10, 15 years where we really appreciate what Timmy Pookie's done this season. Because you just can't. We've just seen him score a load of goals. It's like, oh, Timmy's scored again. I, the, the stats, the actual physical record, we'll be talking about his season for years and years to come. It started off with me sort of saying, this is the best he's done, you know, anyone's done in five years, and then 10 years, and then 20. And then suddenly you're talking about the entire history of the football club, um, <laughs> and he's up there with the best seasons that anyone's ever had. Love him. And then he went and did that to his hair at the end. Amazing. Uh, well, Norwich are back at home then after that with a visit from Swansea. Uh, now, this was this was an interesting one because this was uh, the point at which Norwich had to go first and the Sky game started to dictate um, the, the almost the ebbs and flows of the, the promotion race, never mind the title race. Um, a wonderful goal from Emmy Buendia. Just a magic one to watch. We all know the angle of the slow-mo from behind the shot. Just, oh. It's still travelling, that ball, if there wasn't a net. That was a game where I can remember watching it. Dan James was causing a lot of problems. We were really, really struggling to deal with his threat. And it was one of the few games this season where Norwich didn't really seem to be... There wasn't necessarily that creative spark at the, at the kind of edge. And then... I mean, I, I think Emmy Buendia is one of the best players I've ever seen in a Norwich City shirt, and I don't say that lightly. Um, and I don't just mean during the period that I've been supporting the club more recently. I'm talking going, going back a bit. Uh, that first touch to get it onto the left foot and then the absolute sort of lashing it into the back of the net, it's just... It was it was a brilliant goal, and it was it was one of his top moments of the season. Oh, and just on the Millwall, by the way, the first Millwall game because I know he's already covered that. That is probably the most dramatic football game I've been at in the flesh. <laughs> just have to say. Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely. I think everyone who was there kind of feels the same as well. Down, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like you knew. Um, what I would say, I mean, there was a little bit of edge in the crowd with, for this game, wasn't it? It was a bit. It was just when it was starting to dawn. The, probably the transition from "Oh, we're great, we just keep winning, everything's brilliant" to "Oh God, we could win something." Yeah. Oh no! And um, that was probably epitomised <laughs> by that first half. Tim Quill was was hassled by Dan James, who said pretty heavily, and the crowd weren't taking very well to that. You know, we, we're fine while it was there was nothing on it, and now there's loads on it. What we're going to do? Yeah, and I, th I mean, Dan James is absolutely rapid, isn't he? Like yeah. the likes of which I don't think we've seen for a few years. So quick, and yeah, when I don't know if this happens at all grounds, but when a keeper has a has a nervy moment, suddenly that Carrow Road just gets jittery, doesn't it? And that happened a couple of times this season with Crawley. It definitely happened in this game. It was a different sort of game to the one we were used to. Obviously, Bristol City was this kind of swashbuckling end-to-end -end match. This one was a lot more cagey, um, and we gave Swansea some credit when um, we beat them at the Liberty, and I thought they played well here, actually. Yeah. They had more of the ball, which a lot of teams didn't at Carrow Road, um, and it it was one of those where Buendia was the difference, and mm -hmm. to think... I don't know whether it was premeditated by their defence to allow him onto his weaker foot, but the fact that he can still do that on his weaker foot and change the game 
what a player he doesn't have a weak foot I, mean, I, I, I have to put this straight up I mean I, I think Emi Buendia is one of the, my favourite players to have watched I think he's so, just a beautiful footballer to watch I think he's it's so lovely to see a player like that who is clearly going to be able to make a step up and then beyond God, goodness knows what this man can be because I, I think he's got so much to his game and um, spoken to Kieran Scott you can um, see all of, of, of that with the interview ahead of recruitment but to, to pull off a signing like that just phenomenal what, what an introduction at the start of the season you know, people were say, weren't sure because you just don't know who, who these players are you took a tweet of mine when I said that he'd done a really good job for me in a football manager game <laughs> and I remember you saying well that's a ringing endorsement if ever there was one or, or words to that effect um, and Amy Buendia he's special He's special. I believe he'll play for Argentina. That's how good he is. If, if I could steal a line from Hodgie's hacks at the start of the season, um, I might as well make a hat-trick of impressions, right? Yeah, go on. Yeah. Uh, buen dia is Spanish for good day. And I predict that Amy will have lots of good days this season for City. That's good. So you don't even need the clip, Tony. It's fine. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, this guy's this guy the one who said it, so slightly cheesy, but very prescient, I thought. Yeah, I, I, I like Amy Buendia. We'll, we'll, I'll, uh, I'll gush more about him in a minute. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, key thing from the, the Swansea game for me was, the, the key takeaway was, it was another game where, in other seasons, you just you don't pull out the win. But... This was a game where it wasn't about the character. It wasn't about all these things like, yeah, they've scored just before halftime. Yeah, they've scored straight after us. Yeah, we're not going to let that affect us. This was a game where it was just it was needing something mm-hmm. and there was a moment of individual class that won it. I'll just add, um, I had a real bug bet with Norwich conceding in the last five minutes of the first half or first five of the second. It was the only time across the 90 minutes where they were in a significant um, a negative goal difference I don't know why that is but it's something they might need to sort out but it did really wind me up so it's nice that Norwich I think did something different in this I think I can't remember what minute it was the goal was it 52, 55 it was just after well, that period wasn't it, it was, but it was something like that so they got away with it well, the other thing I'll add you know, Swansea were very good um, obviously they're not going to get to enjoy that anymore with uh, with Graham Potter I don't think um, but uh, you know they were very good for a period but they couldn't sustain it for the entire 90 minutes and I think a lot of sides however well they played they couldn't do what they were doing for uh, long enough to beat Norwich generally was uh, was the case have you got some uh, more yeah, Emmy Buendia love first of all f- 54th minute just um, that was that was the one <laughs> I had to check that um, yeah um, no assists in this game but Buendia did break the record um, for assists in the 21st century in one season um, this was across all competitions so um, I don't know if Hux is watching but I think Hux still holds the lead record for uh, a single season but Emmy got 17 um, across the entire uh, across the entire season which takes some doing when you look at the names on that list and who who he's ahead of um, you can see what a special season he had the other thing about Emmy just to quickly add is that um, we won every single game that he scored in seven seven games he scored in and we we won all of them um, and I won't say what our record was like with that one because I know what will happen. Well, that, 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 I was that, proud of that because I was writing that one in January. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a stat. There was another brilliant Amy Buendia stat NCFC numbers, haha, plug, um, had, which was the one about it was interceptions or tackles. He attempted or, more tackles than anyone else in the championship. This that's season. crazy for yeah. the position he plays. Yeah. I mean, to have that level of tenacity coupled with the, the, the sheer class in his game, I mean, what a player. I, I have to say, when later on in the season he's out for three games by the way spoiler alert um, that was the thing Norwich so clearly missed was the ability so successfully to win the ball high up yeah. that was almost a bit as much as his creative spark I still remember now this time uh, last year 
the excitement around this player, which had been going on for about six months because they signed him in January to try and get it over the line. Uh, and uh, that was why he was the player I was most looking forward to seeing at the start of the season. I feel thoroughly vindicated <laughs> in what we saw and I'm excited to see him play again now. Uh, there we go. Uh, let's have a quick look at the table, shall we? Just before we go, this is after 36 games. Movie flapjack, Steve, that's the way. Norwich um, proudly on top. Two points clear of, Sheff of Leeds. Uh, four of Sheffield United. Um, and obviously a real shape to the table, unless you're a Middlesbrough fan, obviously. But uh, yeah, I suppose we were all thinking it was a pretty likely that Norwich would finish in the top two, but daren't say it. Yeah, do you know what I'm just looking at? Aston Villa say, not yeah. in the top 12 not, at yeah. this point, which just goes to show the the sheer meteoric sort of rise they had towards the end of the season under Dean Smith. Norwich beat them too. There we go. Uh, I think we're done. That is part four done. We are nearly there, everyone, nearly there. Our, our final part follows back at the home of our football hearts uh, and with some someone lucky enough to turn out for this fantastic football club. Uh, he was pr pretty talented with it too I would say uh, until then a big thanks to Stuart Hodge can you believe the turnaround Hodgie in all this uh, no it's kind of staggering isn't it but I think we're on an upward trajectory at the moment it's just going to keep going I hope so uh, your hero of the last year I know, Steve, I know, we, I know. We've just, I know, I know, we've just sort of gushed over him. But that Amy Buendia is my favourite player. But someone that I've not mentioned is Max Ahrens. Um Before coming in today, I obviously rewatched all of these games again, and there, there was a period where Max Ahrens was pretty much unplayable for any team in this division. And to play with that level of maturity and quality, um, it's it's just quite staggering. And the Francis free kick goal, by the way. One of the things I noticed after that is he was going over and he was pulling Vrancic back from the crowd, right? This young kid, teenager, right? And he's saying he's basically saying, right, don't don't get yourself a foolish yellow card, come back for the crowd, keep the head screwed on. That kid's gonna go far. That's Jeff Wednesday, was it? Yeah, yeah, Wednesday game, yeah. Well, it was only a second left, but fair play, Max, for uh, for doing the business. Uh, there's no Graham Dorans, obviously, in this squad, so who, who's your favourite name to say now? Uh, oh, Yannick Vildskot was actually my favourite name. Uh, that's quite a difficult one. Uh, probably Zimmerman, because I think you can, <laughs> I think you, it lends itself to a lot. You know, it's got the Z and the Zim. Can, you, you can do that with your mouth, I can't, so there we go. Uh, absolute pleasure. Hodgie, thank you so much for making the Great to be down here. And, like, I mean, just basking in the glory of an absolutely amazing season. Um, Steve, thank you very much. Um, the, the, the good news is you only have to sit next to me for one more part, so that's good. Is that good or bad? I can't oh. wait to find out what happens. Uh, did, did it go well at the end? We'll tell you in part five, and we'll tell you in part five too. Uh, until then, lay back, rest your eyes, uh, think of that Emmy Buendia strike against Swansea, and uh, we'll be back to wrap up this extraordinary chapter in 117 years of Norwich City history very soon. Thanks for watching and listening. 